0: Welcome to the Tim Talks Politics Podcast, a conversation on government, citizenship, and America's place in the world. I'm your host, Tim Malosh. Let's talk some politics. Tim Talks Politics Podcast. So glad you're here. It is Inauguration Day 2021. When I'm recording this, you'll be receiving this the following day. But I figured since I'm recording right on Inauguration Day, we've got Joe Biden's inaugural address hot off the press. And that is what I want to talk to you about uh, today. One, because inaugural addresses are always significant uh, speeches in American public life. They set out some of the main contours uh, in terms of themes and uh, priorities of incoming administrations. They also help crystallize a president's like starting point uh, for governance. It's a, a clarifying picture of their worldview. Uh, How they view America, how they view themselves in the American context. And so it's always interesting to consider some of the aspects of an inaugural speech a couple years ago i did an a interesting study which was to read all the presidential inaugural speeches from george washington uh, to at the time donald trump and so by watching and then reading joe biden's inaugural speech i kind of continued on with that tradition and i can say i've read a hundred percent of the inaugural speeches of america's presidents and one of the things that stands out to me in that respect is is how frequently common themes emerge. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest things. Is that uh, what you see in the speeches of the main presidents of vastly different times, ideologies, backgrounds, etc. Is there are often some very common themes: the desire to unify a country after divisive elections, the desire to leave America uh, better uh, than uh, than you know how they found it when they came in is presidents, et cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, you know maybe the the varying levels of arrogance and believing that they can leave it better or that uh, somehow they can solve some great great wrong or anything like that. But all that to say, like these these messages of aspiration, unity, the celebration of American democracy, all very common themes uh, throughout American history in the inaugural uh, rhetoric of our presidents. And so it's interesting to put Biden in that, uh, in that list and to then compare his ideas there. So that's what we're going to do today. It's going to be an exploration of presidential rhetoric, uh, how Biden's uh, views himself as a president, how he sees America uh, at this particular moment in time, and you know the degree to which that's in keeping with kind of the tradition of inaugural speeches. That's kind of the theme. So I'm going to move forward through this uh, through this podcast, looking at some of the things I liked about the speech as a speech, uh, and then we'll dive into some of the ideas and policies that are growing out of it, some of the hints at which um, that Biden dropped in the speech in terms of how he will govern or what his administration's priorities will be. Uh, that's kind of where we're going in today's podcast. So let's strap in and get started. I'll start with why I liked about the speech. Uh, there are three things that stood out to me as things I liked. One was uh, Biden's theme of unity. Uh, this is a uh, fantastic theme uh, to address in a uh, presidential inaugural uh, speech. it's a it's a common theme that uh, different presidents have addressed uh, throughout time and because they recognize that even if America can uh, can succeed in the peaceful transfer of power, although, um, Clearly, this transfer of power was very tumultuous uh, and capped off by the uh, deadly riot at Capitol Hill on January 6th. Uh, for the most part, we see more or less peaceful transfers of power uh, from George Washington to now. Uh, parties hand off uh, the presidency from one, uh, one administration to the next. Uh, and, but all that to say, a lot of times those handoffs Though they might be peaceful can be very messy and in the case of the handoff uh, to abraham lincoln it precipitated a cataclysmic civil war so even the peaceful handoff or peaceful transition of power is, is something of an american myth but it, it's what is true uh, is that uh, we can we seem to be able to hand off power but we have to do so cautiously uh, transitions are rarely smooth uh, that seems to be uh, a more accurate way of uh, of stating it but all that to say given how hotly contested uh, elections have been both you know the 2020 election the 2016 election elections several elections going back in the past uh, unity emerges as this big theme in presidential speeches uh, and joe biden doesn't disappoint here he he uh, selects unity as a theme unpacks a lot of different, uh, ideas about it. He actually developed some pretty, I, I thought, some fairly uh, interesting thoughts on it. Uh, quote some old thinkers, which uh, students of mine, public speaking students of mine will know that uh, I will often say, if you're going to make a speech memorable, a special occasion speech memorable, uh, quote somebody who's old and dead. And uh, and Biden does that several times. <laughs> so he has a lot of memorable lines and memorable moments, I think, at least by, by what I think are some good standards of quality special occasion speaking. All that to say, unity emerges as a major theme. I think he he strikes the right tone. Uh, he sets it against the backdrop of a divided America. So he Biden doesn't necessarily come off as uh, naive or head in the sand or head in his basement, however you want to look at it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the question of what kind of unity does he envision uh, is an open question, and it'll that. I'll discuss that a little later on because I think that does play into some of the questions that uh, a lot of people, particularly those who will oppose him, have coming out of the speech. Second thing I liked about this speech was Biden's humility. Uh, This is something that is part of Joe Biden's public image. Uh, He tries to uh, posture himself as kind of the regular working Joe, right? The guy who Kind of took the train to DC, uh, commuted to work, you might say. Uh, he he's the average man about town kind of thing. Uh, that's that's Joe Biden. That's his public image. It's the public image that uh, he leaned on heavily in, to contrast himself with uh, with Donald Trump. Uh, but what stood out to me in this particular speech was what appeared to be for Joe Biden. A genuineness to his uh, humility and the and the part of the speech that really captured that for me was what he termed in his speech as his first official act as president and that was asking america to join him in a moment of silent prayer those are his words silent prayer uh, to pray for the those who have died from COVID 19 their families and for the nation Now, why is this significant? Silent prayer. I think that's a really powerful phrase to use. Uh, It is in keeping with a long tradition of presidents uh, asking for the blessings of heaven, uh, the guidance of providence, or however many ways they've framed it. Uh, But presidents putting themselves in a posture of humility, humility before God, a higher power. Uh, Etc., But this was, I believe, uh, one of the first times the president has actually said, no, this is my first official act. I'm going to lead the country in prayer. Now, it's silent prayer. It's not like Joe Biden's going to get up there and give an extemporaneous prayer. But there you don't find anything like that in prior inaugural addresses. So I found this to be a very strong statement on Biden's part in terms of uh, trying to be a unifier in chief, a healer in chief. Like he's really giving attention to how he can best demonstrate that and best lead by example. And he, he hits upon a publicly acceptable um, element of civil religion uh, to, to do that, to kind of like have this very uh, open, accessible, nonpartisan. Uh, appeal, uh, and so I thought it was a very profound and powerful moment in the speech. Uh, it's it's an innovative moment in terms of its um, in terms of its development on what has been a long uh, long time frequently appearing theme uh, in making an appeal to God uh, in inaugural speeches uh, and 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 you know along Joe Biden's. In keeping with Joe Biden's public image uh, shtick as being the average Joe, the humble Joe, the guy who uh, you know is nobody special, uh, it's a very active moment of you know kind of placing himself underneath the auspices of a higher power. So, I, I found that to just be a really a particularly uh, poetic moment uh, and a strong moment in the speech. And then the other thing I liked about the speech is that. What I would consider this to be, this wasn't a groundbreaking speech. It was a very traditional speech. Uh, it's a traditional speech in the sense that uh, Joe Biden was kind of like hitting all the right notes of pathos, uh, appealing to unity, uh, You know, looking at an America that has boundless potential. Uh, and can rise above its current troubles like these are all themes that you see throughout presidential inaugural speeches uh, and and there's a certain continuity that comes with that and that's what i like to see is when you especially when you see uh, administrations get handed off from one party to another especially when that's coming on the back end of very contentious elections uh, and in the case of just the last couple of weeks uh, violence uh, in on capitol hill uh, this idea of continuity uh, wanting to establish continuity in American traditions, American institutions, uh, is particularly poignant. And I think uh, Joe Biden hits that rhetorically, uh, pretty strongly uh, in this speech. So those are things I liked about the speech. This theme of unity that I think he develops very well, uh, this a particularly uh, strong moment of demonstrated humility in leading the nation in silent prayer, uh, and then, this uh, kind of uh, rhetoric of continuity tradition, uh, you know, giving a speech that in some ways could be given by almost any number of other past presidents uh, and still sound about right. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a Joe Biden speech. uh, It is very much a kind of like an American political speech uh, in that respect. And I find that to be uh, you know, honestly, like as a concerned American citizen who's seen a lot of upheaval and division in America over the last year, I find that somewhat reassuring and comforting. Uh, I did not vote for Joe Biden. I'm not a. I'm I'm not excited about uh, some of the early moves uh, the Biden administration's hinting at, particularly on foreign policy. And you can look at um, I think two podcast episodes back on, on that where I unpack some of that. Uh, but You know, at the same time, like I'm always behind uh, or and by behind, I mean, I'm always wishing the best for uh, presidents, uh, my presidents, whether I vote for them or not. And I appreciate that about Joe Biden, that he seemed to know that uh, and acknowledge very uh, vocally that a good chunk of America did not vote for him and that he's going to endeavor to. I'd be a present for them, too. I'm always in favor of that, especially when I didn't vote for the guy. Uh, and that brings me to kind of like the the pause button. So I just s- spent uh, a few minutes talking about what I liked about Joe Biden's rhetoric, what I liked about the speech, what appealed to me, especially as someone who didn't vote for the guy. And yet. Uh, the question remains, can he deliver? Right. There's political rhetoric and there's political reality uh, and you can speak. To unity, you can even have the desire to be the great unifier, Uh, but the real open question is can he deliver on this? Uh, Can Joe Biden, can his administration, can they craft a narrative uh, for a unified America? Can they craft a vision for a unified America? And then can they translate that into specific policy actions uh, that help to unify America. Uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, that remains to be seen. And I would probably say the opening round of announcements of cabinet positions, presidential appointees, uh, you know, early executive orders and initial uh, legislation movements, uh, I'm a little skeptical if they can deliver on that and I'll unpack that a little bit uh, in just a minute just because I want this to be kind of like a more instructive reflective podcast not just me spouting my opinion so uh, I'll pause that I'll just leave it there like I'm I'm a little skeptical but uh, but it doesn't take away from the power of the rhetoric right. Uh, so, and that brings me, I think, to the other thing, the other question is the, not just the question of can Joe Biden deliver on his message of unity, but related to that as an additional question is how is the other America going to hear him? How will the people of America who did not vote for him, how will they hear his message of unity? Are they going to hear it as just as a unifying message and, and an appeal, uh, to at least give Joe Biden a shot? Right, let him, let him uh, do his best, or will they hear it as an as yet another example of a disingenuous double standard from the political left? Uh, There's been plenty of evidence for for people on the right uh, to see uh, the double standard of what they view as the political uh, left and their double standards in the media, double standards in tech, in big tech companies. Uh, there's plenty of evidence for them to look at to, to, to even if they want to give Joe Biden the benefit of doubt as an individual, uh, it's hard for them to see if the party and movement Joe Biden leads is as interesting in unity as he is. And that's going to be a, probably a big challenge for Joe Biden as a leader. It's not going to be necessarily reaching out and leading the America that didn't vote for him. It's going to be... Leading the people who supported him, the party that supports him, uh, towards unity with uh, the people who didn't vote for him, and so will will he be able to check back against the worst impulses of the more radical wings of his party? We'll see. That part remains to be seen. And I think that's probably where a lot of people on the American right are quite cautious of Joe Biden's uh, message of unity, and probably with good reason, at several levels. And that's because they're looking at things like his initial appointments and policy moves. Uh, So just in the last week, um, Joe Biden's uh, transition team announced over a dozen uh, Trump-era executive orders that uh, Biden plans to reverse in his first day in office. Uh, They've announced major legislative initiatives looking at uh, legalizing the legal status of illegal immigrants, legalizing their residency in America. And providing a pathway of citizenship. Uh, these are all, uh, fairly major things. The executive orders are fairly low hanging fruit that can be, uh, assumed that he's going to do that just because, well, that's what Trump did is he reversed a lot of Obama era executive orders and Obama reversed a lot of Bush era executive orders. And there's just a lot that, that happens a lot. That's why executive orders are kind of like, uh, how would I put this? Uh, uh, a figurehead gestures. Uh, in some cases, having very real meaning. I mean, they have force of law and everything. But uh, when it comes to demonstrating the direction of a president's leadership, changing executive orders and issuing executive orders are kind of like the low-hanging fruit. And sure enough, Biden's going to do what you would expect any new president to do, is go in there and reverse the executive orders from the prior president that you didn't like and put some in on your own to put your own mark on it. So I think that's to be expected. The legislative initiatives are, are quite fascinating in terms of immigration policy. Uh, Biden it has a lot of pressure from his progressive wing to do something about uh, a Green New Deal, ex- vastly expand uh, the COVID-19 relief funds and packages, um, all that. So how that ties into Joe Biden's message of unity, uh, ties into his message of uh, bringing America together uh, when they're already teeing up in the early going some pretty contentious policy issues is going to be interesting and I, my guess is that's going to be the subject of of you know later newsletters uh, from Tim talks politics or um, or even just future subjects for podcasts and that brings us to the next question that I want to address and that is what is or I should say, what are uh, Biden's priorities going into the administration? Here we should pause and say, there's usually two ways to evaluate a presidency. When a president takes office, he usually has a he or she uh, usually has a pretty clear idea uh, on what they want their priorities to be, what they want to focus on. And usually they want to focus on domestic issues. Uh, they want to focus on, say, infrastructure or tax reform or, or whatever. And then there's the political reality. Then there's the political world that they have to actually live in and engage with. And when you're the most powerful country in the world, like America, that means you actually have to engage with the polit- international political world. You, you can't just Kind of focus on domestic stuff and hope the great powers leave you alone. You are a great power, and that means other great powers are going to push back on you. They're going to challenge you. Uh, smaller powers, weaker powers, are going to be asking for your help. So you're going to have a lot of petitions for that help from around the globe. Uh, you know all these all these things, and so you know there's a there's often a difference between what an administration wants to focus on and what they end up having to focus on classic example is george w bush uh, who came into office with a major peacetime dividend a strong economy and wanted to do some real work on the domestic front related to education infrastructure tax reform etc much of which he didn't exactly get to do or at least he didn't get to do as much of because of a little event called september 11th and the ensuing Global war on terror, the invasion of Iraq, et cetera, et cetera. So, how a president starts his administration doesn't, all, or and the aspirations with which he brings to that office, doesn't always line up with how they end up having to deal with things. That being said, Joe Biden lays out in his speech, uh, in one particular passage early on, uh, four core priorities that I think are going to shape the early going. Of the Biden administration, here they are. I'm going to read this quote from from you: uh, "A once in a century, uh, a once in a century virus that silently stalks the country. It's taken as many lives in one year as America lost in all of World War II. Millions of jobs have been lost. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. A cry for racial justice, some 400 years in the making, moves us. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. A cry for survival comes from the planet itself. A cry that can't be any more desperate." or any more clear and now a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism, that we must confront and we will defeat. So there's four major priorities that he lays out here. One is addressing the pandemic, COVID-19. The second is addressing issues of racial justice. The third is uh, climate change, putting that forefront on the agenda. And the fourth is a very strong statement of direct confrontation with white supremacy slash domestic terrorism. Uh, it The construction of the sentence does uh, suggest that, uh, that he's conflating those terms. So political extremism, white supremacy, and domestic terrorism are all being kind of grouped together. Uh, it's hard to know if the Biden administration is going to treat these as all one and the same, or as distinct individual problems that are kind of under a larger heading as, you know, the problems of polarization. I don't know. That is probably one of the most mysterious elements. And given that he kind of lays it out here as a core priority uh, for his administration, it'll be, I'm both interested and concerned with uh, where they go with this. Not Not because... Political extremism, white supremacy, and domestic terrorism are not bad things. They are. Uh, but you, when we're talking about governing, when we're talking about enforcing laws, when we're talking about leveraging the coercive power of the state, uh, you want to be careful of painting with too broad a brush. You want to be careful of labeling uh, things one thing when they're something else. Uh, You just want you you want to be very careful of that. And so I think a lot of civil liberty advocates are going to be watching uh, watching the Biden administration's moves here with great interest and concern. Um, But what stood out to me in this portion is that these are the aspirational priorities, the first things, of first focus for the Biden administration, some of them of which are going to be some of those low hanging fruit of reversing Trump executive orders, like such as rejoining the World Health Organization, rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, etc. But others uh, might actually speak. Uh, others of these might actually speak to some much larger uh, policy initiatives, such as like trying to address climate change. We might be looking at something like a large package uh, akin to the Green New Deal uh, that. Made such a big splash during the primaries, uh, but which also wasn't necessarily a super popular uh, policy play for voters Uh, that might be pushed forward. So it's worth asking a question: Is like, to what degree does um, do these aspirations uh, measure up with political reality? To what degree do the aspirations and priorities laid out by the administration uh, here uh, will they? You know, to what degree are those kind of in step with uh where american voters are at and what american voters are seeing as uh, core priorities and then like i was saying there's the political reality of what the rest of the world is going to allow you to do or not do and it's very interesting for me to see here that biden doesn't really take much time to talk about america's uh strategic aspirations um, or strategic challenges there's no reference to even a veiled reference uh, to china uh, easily, our biggest geostrategic uh, challenge at the moment. Uh, there's no mention of it. Uh, there's no mention of nuclear proliferation, which is a bit of a uh, a bit of a departure from more recent um, inaugural addresses, certainly of the last thirty years or so. So some uh, kind of enduring problems uh, in the broader world don't really show up in uh, Biden's stated priorities here. It could be he thinks that. You know, A lot of these will fall under the heading of addressing a global pandemic and addressing climate change, but things like a geostrategic challenge from China, uh, nuclear proliferation in Iran, North Korea, those are pretty specific problems that are very distinct from uh, public health issues and environmental issues, maybe having some related sub-issues, but still distinct. So it'll be interesting to see the degree to which the Biden administration can anticipate the broader world in their policy priorities the degree to which they can manage the you know curveballs from the broader world in their priorities and how the broader world is going to either allow or not allow the Biden administration to focus on the priorities that uh, Joe Biden has stated here as being what he wants to focus on Biden also, in addition to not making any direct references uh, to China or turning back authoritarianism or propping up global institutions for the uh, protection of democracy, uh, he see, it seems that climate change is, is about the most international thing that shows up here. Now, COVID-19 is a global pandemic, but Biden's comments on COVID-19 are almost specifically uh, focused on, on the domestic Component of the pandemic. Uh, So it's interesting to me, being an international relations guy, to see that the foreign policy of the United States and its strategic um, objectives really seem to be just focused on climate change, not really on uh, much of anything else. And with China being uh, uh, making some pretty aggressive moves uh, across the across the world, it'll be really interesting to see how the Biden administration uh, addresses itself. Now, we do have some early indications on China. So for example, in its last week of office, the Trump administration uh, designated China's treatment of the uh, minority Uyghur Muslim Uyghur population in Western China as a genocide. That's very strong language coming out of the Trump administration. And uh, and Biden's uh, selection to head the State Department, so our future Secretary of State, has Said that they plan to back that, and so it'll be interesting to see what components of the Trump foreign policy, especially vis-a-vis China, uh, the Biden administration continues uh, going forward. But all that to say, it's it's just it was fascinating to me that there was a a glaring kind of omission in uh, in the Biden uh, administration's priorities. The other thing that uh, that stood out to me as well, is that uh, while Biden is concerned about the pandemic and concerned about climate change, uh, there wasn't a a whole lot of attention given to, say, restoring transatlantic alliances, uh, which Biden is on record saying he wants to do, Uh, and he made some appeal to uh, America's allies uh, in the speech saying like, hey, American democracy survived. We're here. We're not going anywhere. Uh, You can rely on us. And so I imagine that that would probably be developed uh, in the uh, early days and months of the Biden administration further. But notably, though, in a section of his speech where he outlines core priorities uh, for his administration, uh, again, he doesn't really uh, give attention to America's alliances, or uh, restoring America's uh, reputation abroad, or uh, or anything uh, of that nature. Uh, he, it's also interesting that it doesn't really address the economy. Uh, the economy has been doing fairly well uh, up until the point of uh, COVID hitting. Then we kind of went into like a uh, a a recession, or certainly. A lot of uh, a lot of slowed growth as a result of the pandemic, and so maybe uh, Biden's economic policy is going to be tied in with how he addresses COVID nineteen with uh, with pandemic relief. Maybe it's probably tied in with his climate change policies. So maybe the economy comes underneath that. Uh, but it's just it, it is interesting that there were no major uh, discussion points because if there's one area of Kind of like the traditional inaugural address that tends to get addressed quite frequently by presidents, it is the economy or ec- economic issues of some fashion. And that was um, notably missing as well. So when I asked the question, was Biden getting into and what are his priorities? I do think that while he pretty clearly articulated a set of four priorities for his uh, administration, I also think there are some looming issues. Uh, You know, getting the American economy back up and going, um, addressing China, uh, repairing transatlantic relations, uh, those types of things. Nuclear proliferation, again, no mention of of nuclear proliferation at all, which is kind of interesting because that often shows up in inaugural addresses. Uh, Some of those bigger ticket items, bigger ticket policy items and strategic concerns don't seem to have as much... Pull on uh, Biden's priorities at this point, point. and the reason why I think that's important is because usually when that's the case, um, what we see in the past is that those external issues come looking for you. Uh, you might not want to uh, be the president who is known for having to deal with an aggressive China, or you might not want to be the president uh, for whom Iran gets nuclear weapons on you know on your watch, uh, but to ignore or to downplay uh, the uh, the threats from other countries uh, at the outset of one's administration is usually to invite uh, some pretty aggressive moves. Uh, and so I that's one area of great concern I have for the Biden team and uh, the Biden foreign policy going forward. I'll probably develop some of that more in uh, later episodes. But for now, uh, when I look at kind of like the world that Team Biden comes into, and the priorities Biden uh, lays out, uh, there do there does seem to be some rather large issues that might not be on the front burner for the Biden administration, and that's slightly concerning to me. Okay, but that's all uh, that's all my opinion though. That's all just me talking head going off uh, my first listen to the speech. I'll be really fascinated to see. Uh, to what degree some of the ideas and themes of the speech um, uh, carry forward uh, in Biden's Biden's coming executive orders and pronouncements. Uh, But for purposes of uh, kind of keeping the conversation going, uh, one of the questions I found myself asking as I listened to Biden's inaugural address is just what is unity and how do we achieve it as a society? Um, Unity is not necessarily something that is best done top down, it's usually best done organically. And this is something that uh, Alexis de Tocqueville explored at length in his book, Democracy in America. Uh, One of the things he saw as the great success of Democracy in America was this this democratic, the equality of condition and the democratic majority and its social effects. And he he really located the strength of America and the power of its civil society. And so I think uh, it will be interesting to see how, like I said earlier, how the vision for unity is realized by the Biden administration or is or, or how they seek to realize it. Is it going to be top down or bottom up? There's a hint at how uh, how Biden understands unity. And it's in one of the uh, one of the points of the speech, which I thought was a very interesting um, quote. I, I rather liked it. And here's what here's kind of how Biden defines unity. He says, many centuries ago, St. Augustine, a saint in my church wrote that a people was a multitude defined by the common objects of their love, defined by the common objects of their love. What are the common objects we as Americans love that define us as American? I think we know opportunity, security, liberty, dignity, respect, honor, and yes, the truth. Now this is a list of very good virtues i thought i don't think there'd be much disagreement over them in terms of like that should definitely be what characterizes a society um but of course there's there's always debates there's always going to be uh opinions about this on terms of like what do we mean by each of these virtues uh which are the most important Uh, how should they be ranked and ordered like when you know when security is in conflict with liberty like which one do we choose? right? Uh, Those are all going to be part of the policy debates coming down the pike. But I actually think that uh, that was a really good quote to even just start thinking about, uh, how do we understand unity? Uh, Biden seems to understand it through his interpretation of St. Augustine as being um, the common objects of our love. So he's kind of asking a question, what do Americans love and what... What do we generally love as Americans? Uh, and he's looking specifically at these, these values, these virtues. Uh, and the next question becomes like, okay, if that's where, where our unity comes from, how do we create opportunity? How do we maintain security? How do we ensure liberty? Uh, what does it look like to live with our neighbors uh, with dignity and respect and honor? And then how do we understand truth uh, and validate it and verify it? what 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 does all that look like what are the civil society institutions that uh that help us achieve those things and i think those are some big questions to consider uh, as we kind of wrap things up here if you want more information on uh, the inaugural address of joe biden or past inaugural addresses i'll put some quotes Not quotes. I'm sorry. Some links in the show notes. I'll put a link to the transcript of Joe Biden's speech. I highly recommend you go read it. It's fairly short. Uh, But then for further reading, I would recommend that you read all the inaugural addresses of the presidents. It's a fairly short reading project. I'll put a link to those uh, books um, in the show notes as well. Uh, It was one of the best uh, pieces of reading that I did uh, a couple years ago, as I kind of like sought to understand the office of the presidency. Um, Just to read the words of all our presidents from Washington to now and see kind of like how they understood themselves, how they understood their role as president, how they understood America. It's a really fascinating, fascinating study uh, to see what stays the same, what changes, all that good stuff. And then if you want to kind of like dive into some of this, some of these bigger kind of uh, nitty gritty political conversations on uh, the presidency, the role of the presidency. Uh, the uh, the future of the Democratic Party, Joe Biden as a president, uh, I would direct you to some of the f- past podcasts that I've done on this. So episode 20 is on uh, Article 2 of the Constitution. That's titled The Buck Stops Here, and I unpack kind of like, what does the Constitution say about the office of the president and what the president can and cannot do? I think that's going to be really important when uh, thinking through and uh, seeing the early moves the Biden administration is going to make along the lines of the, uh, core objectives that, uh, Biden outlined in the quote above, uh, episode 24 of the podcast. Uh, I had a conversation with Dr. Tom uh, Hallahan in uh, USC on the future of the democratic party. And so, uh, it might be helpful to go back and review that to just see like, Hey, uh, in the event of a Biden win and, uh, Democrats being in control of Congress, I, what does that mean? Um, are some of the, does some of the analysis there hold up? Is it going to age well? And then episode 27, and my conversation with Steve Miller on, uh, Joe Biden and the democratic platform, uh, what appeals to voters. Uh, it'll be interesting to go back. I'd recommend go back there and listen again to that conversation. to see kind of like, what are some of the main themes that remained consistent in Joe Biden's pitch to voters, uh, like Steve and his pitch to all Americans in his inaugural address, where there's, were there changes in the message? Uh, what remained the same? What changed? Uh, helpful to consider why might changes occur? Um, I'm not someone who likes to just say just because the politician changes his or her mind that they're a hypocrite or a flip-flopper. Um, events change people's minds, and there's certainly been a lot of notable events since um, since that podcast occurred. And so uh, I'm sure it shapes Joe Biden's uh, view of things. In closing, I want to share one last quote from the inaugural address uh, by Joe Biden. And uh, I I found this particular um, quote interesting because when he outlined from St. Augustine, the idea of of unity as being couched in, you know, what makes us a people, you know, the common objects of our love, he then kind of briefly had this description of the way of unity you know what helps us understand unity and achieve it and he articulated three things and these are three things of uh, that require study that require exercise uh, that require um, require that the average american um, i guess you could say put work in on them and i found it very interesting again what he what he includes and what he leaves out so let me read this uh, quote from joe biden on the way of unity History, faith, and reason show the way, the way of unity. We can see each other, not as adversaries, but as neighbors. We can treat each other with dignity and respect. We can join forces, stop the shouting and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury. And I found it really interesting that Joe Biden uh, listed off those three things that teach us unity, history, faith, and reason. Uh, rational thought. These are kind of. Uh, this is in a, a very interesting mix of um, of again virtues or subjects. Uh, he doesn't say something like, you know, just you know rational thought. Uh, it's faith and reason. Uh, it's not. Um, uh, he lays out history as kind of this subject of choice to understand what unity looks like. Um, And I just found that a very interesting grouping, history, faith, and reason uh, as being, uh, you might say, you know, core uh, in Biden's world, core components of understanding unity and seeking to uh, live uh, in a manner, in in a unified manner. So I'll leave you with that. Uh, That's kind of my analysis of uh, Joe Biden and his inaugural address. So uh when you're listening to this we will be into day 2 of the Biden administration and from here on out it'll be a ongoing conversation about uh i think uh, a worthwhile conversation about uh the parallel between Joe Biden's inaugural message of unity and the ability of Joe Biden's administration to govern in line with that uh unifying message or uh the degree to which they don't govern in line with that. That's going to be kind of like the the conversation to be had is, are they unifying America or are they not unifying America? Why or why not? And I think we'll probably be returning to this conversation uh, down the road. So I look forward to having those future conversations with you. Uh, until then, you enjoy uh, the rest of your week, and I'll see you again on the Tim Talks Politics Podcast. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Tim Talks Politics Podcast. Thank you so much for joining the conversation whenever and wherever you're listening from. If you're in a generous mood, I'd love it if you would leave a review of the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps to improve the show and increase its visibility in the marketplace of ideas. And please be sure to check out the show notes at timtalkspolitics.com where you can find additional content and subscribe to my newsletter, The Weekly Brief. This is Tim Malosh. Until next time, have a great week, and I will see you again on the Tim Talks Politics Podcast.